Our Father, we've just uh, sung that we'd like to follow our Emmanuel, just as we've also sung that he was your servant. And we pray that you will please help us to understand the Bible today in a way that will help us to be more like him. And we pray this for the glory of his name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to look at this part of the Bible. It's towards the end, and it's on page 1022, if you'd like to have a look at it. Page 1022. It's not the usual Christian, uh, Christmas reading, but it's 1 John chapter 3, and I'm going to read from verses 4 to 10. On page 1022. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Well, let's uh, uh, have a think about those words. And as we think about them, I guess I just want to ask you at the start, how predictable do you want me to be today? Do you want to be uh, really predictable and uh, uh, to, to say that... Uh, Ah, someone's shy outside and has just been dragged in, I think. Shall I wait? Hello. Do come in. There's a friendly man called Rob that, right there. And uh, uh, he'll share his Bible with you if you haven't got one nearby, nearby. Right. Okay. So, going back to my little question. How predictable do you want me to be? Do you want me to say the usual Christmas things? that actually Jesus is the reason there is a Christmas? Uh, the saying is, Jesus is the reason for the season? Do you want me to say that? Do you want me to say that uh, uh, Christmas is a great declaration of peace on earth? Uh, do you want me to say that actually is all about the birth of Jesus? Do you want me to be predictable today? Or shall I go somewhere different? 
Well, I think actually all those things are true, but we need to understand perhaps a little bit more than we normally do at Christmas. And the first thing perhaps we need to understand is, well, not that Jesus is the reason for the season, but actually the devil is the reason for it. Uh, you remember from that reading that we just had, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So he came for that reason. Therefore, that is the cause. Now, let me just make it clear that we're not saying that the devil has taken over Christmas. I know everybody thinks Christians are always saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the devil is the cause of Christmas, which is actually quite different. And it's unusual that we would think about that on a Christmas day or any other day, frankly, because normally the devil isn't something we normally talk about very much. It's a kind of hidden, shadowy figure that never really gets the spotlight all that much, let alone on Christmas Day. But the thing we mustn't do is to mistake Satan with Santa. In other words, to think that they're both kind of imaginary figures in the world. The reality is that he captures people to live under his authority and the way he does that is to attack God's authority. So we're not allowed to live under God's authority. He tries to capture people to come and live under his own authority instead. And for that to happen, what he does is he fires his guns at God's law. Because frankly, if he can get us to think that he can give us greater freedom, then that would be a great incentive for us to follow him instead of God. That was basically the sales pitch in the Garden of Eden. Look, I'll help you to enjoy this garden a whole lot more than God will. You can have anything you want at all, no restrictions. And I'll give you great freedom. And the answer was, that uh, the minute we discover that freedom, we don't discover that freedom, we discover we're following him. And that's what actually the Apostle Paul says when he talks about life before people became Christians. Uh, in another part of the Bible, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 2, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So we're not free, we're following. And we're following the one who uh, offers us slavery instead of freedom. And that is the reason why Jesus came, to take us out of that kind of slavery from following the enemy to following uh, the sun. And uh, we'll see in a moment what that means. So the first thing is, it is the devil that is the reason for the season. The second thing that we might need to understand is that it's not a declaration of peace on earth, it's actually a declaration of war. 
the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of uh, the devil. That's open warfare right from the start. So just to give you an idea of what it was like when Jesus started work, uh, when he, uh, you open up Mark's Gospel right at the start, and it says, they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed him, and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the evil spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere. I tried for the word go. It was warfare. And the warfare ended when he died on the cross. And in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, it says... He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So that was what he came to do. He came to destroy uh, the works of the devil. Now we might say, hasn't done a very good job because there's still a lot of evil around in the world today. I might say there are two things that the Bible teaches about this. One is that God has a huge, decisive victory over the enemy when Jesus died on the cross. And so the enemy that we face now is an enemy with a broken back, if I can say, put it like that. And it means that... Uh, uh, he hasn't got the resources. He hasn't the same ability to win as he did when he was facing Jesus. But he's still a powerful force. And to understand how it works, I guess if you can think back to the Second World War, when the Allied forces attacked Normandy and got a foothold in France and then started fighting back against the Germans, from that moment onwards, you could say the war was won. There was nothing Hitler was going to be able to do to stop uh, the Allies winning. But he fought back every step of the way. There were still people who would die. There was still suffering and there was still misery, even though he was defeated at that point. Or perhaps a better example still from uh, Papua New, New <coughs> Guinea. There was a man who was working in his garden and he saw a python and he had his... Uh, spade with him so with the spade he chopped off the python's head and then he picked up the snake to have a closer look at it and immediately the headless snake coiled itself around his arms and started squeezing tight to two grown men to get that snake off him see dead but deadly and that's ultimately how we are to I think understand uh, Satan today but ultimately will be dead and still because 
the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. So, Jesus is the reason for the season? Well, actually, the devil is the reason for the season, you might also say. A declaration of peace on earth? Well, yes, but a declaration of war on earth. And then lastly, all about his birth? Actually, no, it's all about your birth. If you go back to that reading, because what that reading tells us is that his birth was meant to lead to our birth, to being born of God. And it's that understanding of a new birth that helps us to stop sinning. Because to be God's child is not just to be forgiven in order that we then go and do the same thing all over again, but to have his genes in us so we really do want to get the snake off our arm. Now, don't get that the wrong way around. We're not saying the way to become Christian is to stop sinning and then you become Christian. No, we're not saying that. We're saying it's when you're a Christian that God's genes are in you and this desire becomes overwhelming. And so we stop. Now, it's important for us to see that because this part of the Bible, this letter that John wrote, was to a church at that time who were filled with different groups of people saying different things. And it's very confusing when there are different people in church saying different things about how to get close to God. And John's saying there is one very simple way to avoid confusion, not to get confused. And what John does is he introduces what we might call today a paternity test. You know how it is when stars have a love child and they don't quite know who that child belongs to and they have a paternity test and they say, actually, no, it is your kid, you can't deny it. And what John is basically doing is a bit of a DIY paternity test. He says, by this is evident, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. It's a paternity test. It's probably best conducting <clears throat> on ourselves first before we try and do it with anybody else. And by that I mean it's important for me to see that if I continue in my sin, I cannot claim to be close to God. Now, don't get me wrong, John's not teaching perfectionism here. It doesn't mean that you know, I stop sinning completely. God's children will sin until the time they die. But we will be pleading with God to help us to get rid of that sin because we don't want that snake on our arm anymore. So we cry out to him for freedom and a new life that is more like his. And so we cry and plead for it uh, in front of him. Now, it's worth us seeing that that is the response of God's child, that actually we cry out to God and then we ourselves want to be dead to sin in order to be alive to God. And 
it is just worth saying. Strangely, I know on Christmas Day, but on Christmas Day, that it is so incongruous to want to carry on in sin and to want to be close to God and to think you can do the two together. Um, let me give you a little snippet of things that people have said to me in the years that I've been a pastor. Uh, these are all true little sayings, uh, and you might just uh, have heard them yourself before. Uh, couple, uh, way back when we used to live in the Lake District, God wants us to be happy, and we're happier with each other than we were when we were married. So we ended the marriages and married each other instead. Here's another one. God gave me this desire for a relationship with the same sex. So if I had that desire that he gave me, it must be right. Here's another one. I prayed about it and asked God to stop me getting married to him if it was wrong. Here's another one. I know what I'm doing is wrong, but God will always forgive. This is what grace is about, isn't it? No. This is what lawlessness is about, according to John. So we have this paternity test. And in that paternity test, John ends up with that little observation. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. So you see, in that, Christmas and that paternity test actually divides the world into two. Christmas does that. A lot of people on our estate are as we go around and chat to them, happy to tell us that they are spiritual. We've heard that a lot. I'm, I'm, I do go to church, but I'm, I'm a spiritual person. I think what they're trying to say in that is, yeah, we are in touch with God. We don't go to church, but we are in touch with God. But I think what that often means is that I want spirituality without morality. I want to be in touch with God, but not actually to, to really want to be like him. But to be a Christian means to ask God to be your dad and to give you that new birth into his family. <coughs> so then with the family genes in you, we start living the way Jesus did, which is to fight sin from the day he started. If we don't want to do that, we may call ourselves spiritual children of the devil. That's the, the, the divide that you get here. But I think it's also true of something that can be around in church circles too, because in our denomination, the kind of Anglican church, I think there's a bit of reclassification going on. Hey, society's moved on and we should update God as well. So we blur the edges a bit. 
uh, we're saving up to get married, so it's okay to live together first. And there are lots of clever people around in the churches who say you can keep, stay with your sin and keep your Christianity as well. And John says, if we can't claim to be children of God, or what, sorry, what John says, we, we cannot claim to be children of God if we don't want to be like his son. The only way you can claim to be a child of God is if you really, really want to be like his son. It's frightening to think that there are church people who are children of the devil in that simple paternity test. But I think there's another danger. This is my danger. And that is that I know how God wants me to live and we want to live like that, but we settle for moderate obedience. By that I mean that I won't commit adultery in a physical way, but I let my thoughts wander and I let my mind daydream. On the outside I can be nice, on the inside I can be full of seething anger. And so the way Christians, I think, can be in danger of living is that we have a public and we have a private. And the two are very different. We maintain a private world of sin. And I think what God comes to us on Christmas Day is that I need to learn how to talk to God and die to sin when my private world is uh, uh, different to what I would want to do in public. So I know it's a strange message for Christmas, and it is a serious message for Christmas, but I think it is actually the Christmas message. Because, in verse 8 it says, The Son of Man came to destroy the works of the devil. That's the reason why he came. We can't have Christmas Day without actually thinking about that. And thinking about what the works of the devil might be and how we might be more like his children than the children of the devil. Because that is the only choice. And Christmas Day is a good day for us to see that. And a good day for us to go out uh, thinking how we might be more like him in the way we spend this day with others too. Well, let's pray that God will help us and <clears throat> we'll uh, hold on to what he said. Our Father, we do want to thank you that you speak to us not superficially, but seriously. Please grant that you will help us to enjoy Christmas by being in step with why that is Christmas. In other words, by being more like your children than by being children of the devil. And please help us, Father, we pray to live in that truth as you fill us with your spirit and we pray that for the glory of Jesus our Lord Amen, Amen.